The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. The following audio blogs can be found in written form at foundationsofreconstruction.com and have been produced into audio format by its authors. This audio blog was written and recorded by Jessica Lambert on October 20th, 2016. Hospitality is more than just having a few friends over for a barbecue in the backyard. If we go to the Greek roots of the word hospitality, it literally means brotherly love and a stranger or immigrant. In Romans 13, we are told to practice hospitality. This might lead us to think we should practice hosting our friends for dinner. Rather, it is a common practice to loving strangers and immigrants as brothers. We are to care for them, serve them, clothe them, and feed them. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hebrews 13.2 When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19.33-34 we are to open our homes and hearts to the strangers in our gates. My mother has been very good about keeping our doors open for strangers and friends who needed a place to stay. Even when it seems as if she cannot find a place, she makes room. There seems to be no end to her giving spirit as she seeks to make our guests at home in her house. Christ speaks at length about the stranger and sojourner in scripture. They are to be treated kindly and with respect. In both Titus and 1 Timothy, we are told that elders, church leaders, must be people who are known to love strangers and immigrants as if they are their own siblings. Even widows who were given financial aid from the church had to be known to love strangers and sojourners as brothers in Christ. 1 Timothy 5, 9-10 It is important when showing hospitality that we do so without grumbling. If we are welcoming people into our homes but grumbling behind their backs, we are not showing true hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 4, 9 our home should be a welcome resting place, a safe haven for weary travelers. We should joyfully serve others as we strive to be like Christ. Is hospitality a spiritual gift or a scriptural mandate? It is both. Some Christians really do possess hospitality as a spiritual gift. We are to use our spiritual gifts for the furthering of the kingdom of God. We are to open our homes regardless of whether or not it's something that comes naturally, because in the end, we are to be serving in the footsteps of Christ. Instead of focusing on what we don't have, why don't we open our homes and share and be thankful for that which we do have? The incredible thing is that God uses us, small, unimportant sinners, to bring about His will and display His power and glory over every living thing. Is it not incredible? We should be bold in the light of this truth. God has not only given you the roof over your head, but He will also give you the strength, grace, wisdom, and love to deal with strangers, friends, and neighbors who happen your way. When we practice the art of hospitality, we have the opportunity to touch someone's life in an incredible, intimate way. Life is a miracle, and we are to be blessed to be alive and to be on this earth with so many good things all around us. Why not share the blessings the Lord has bestowed upon you? 
With a little planning, a little preparation, and earnest prayer, you can be prepared to take in whoever the Lord may see fit to send your way. This audio blog was written and recorded by Jessica Lambert on October 20, 2016. Acts 2.42 gives us a pretty clear example that fellowship is one of the four things that the early church dedicated itself to explicitly. Fellowship was one of the main reasons they gathered together. It was very important to them. It was a main objective. So what is fellowship? The word fellowship no longer carries the meaning it did in the New Testament times. It has been watered down by modern ideals and ideas. The early church devoted a lot of its time to the apostles' teaching, prayer, and most importantly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The prayer and apostles' teaching are two very important aspects to the Christian walk. Luke tells us, however, that the early church also devoted itself to fellowship. They made it a priority. They didn't just have it. They devoted themselves to it, heart and soul. Today, we view fellowship as the time spent together over a coffee or a meal. And while this isn't a bad thing and can be good in its place, it falls short of what God's plan for fellowship really was and still should be for his people. Interpersonal relationships are necessary and very much needed to keep our faith growing. There is no substitute to going to church and spending time with others in the faith. Fellowship can be rich and deep and meaningful when practiced the way it was intended. It is a sharing of ourselves with people of like faith in the Lord God and working together. Fellowship is not just an activity, it is a relationship. What we have seen and heard we declare to you, so that you and we together may share in a common life, the life which we share with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, three. In fellowship we share our love and faith in Christ with one another. We are family. Our objective relationship with one another grows out of our relationship with Christ first and foremost. This is the foundation of fellowship with other believers. Without God's means of fellowship, we cannot have true Christian fellowship. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Philippians 2, 1-2 In order to enjoy true fellowship with other believers, we have to be in fellowship with Christ. The most important relationship that must be maintained is the one we have with Christ. This is the foundation and source for all other friendships and the capacity we will have as believers for fellowship. God has provided everything we need for fellowship in all aspects. We must act on our new life in Christ. Sharing with others about struggles you may be having spiritually, praying together, and spending time talking on things of the Lord over a meal can be very encouraging when done with like-minded believers. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of all saints. Ephesians 6.18 Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of righteous man availeth much. Fellowship with other believers can be a beautiful thing. Never take it for granted. Thank God for bringing like-minded people into your life and enjoy the time you have together in the Spirit. This audio blog was written and recorded by Jessica Lambert on October 20th, 2016. Miscarriage is a devastating thing for any wife and mother. Though I have never had a child and am not married, I can only imagine the grief and despair that must follow losing a child you had yet to even meet or hold in your arms. Imagine never sharing a birthday or a night under the stars with them. No walks, no talks, no snuggles. It was a life that was taken before you knew it. The maternal instincts that begin nearly immediately after conception, along with the hormonal changes in the mother's body, seem only to intensify the emotional grief and pain after a miscarriage. 
The mother may feel alone in her suffering as if no one really cared about the tiny, living, and breathing baby that was inside of her, now no longer there. She will have questions, doubts, and fears, and will want comfort. Though the woman's husband never carried that child, he's probably going to have formed a bond with it, and will also be in despair watching his wife go through her grief and pain. As young people in a community, it can be difficult to know what exactly to do in these situations. Prayer is always appreciated by people who are grieving, but oftentimes we want to do something and just cannot think of anything that would be helpful. How do you help someone who has lost a child who they get to even meet? Heartache is just a part of life. It's something we will face no matter where we go or what we do. This is what makes the promise of eternal life with Jesus so miraculous and wonderful. No pain, no tears, no fear, no grief. So as young people, how and what can we do to help? Grieve with them and give them time to grieve. If you're close, offer a hug. If not, allow them to talk and sit and pray with them. Send them an encouraging note or psalm. Take a loaf of bread. Or if you're a young man, offer your assistance in some helpful way, such as cutting the lawn without charge, clearing brush, etc., etc. Taking a meal or babysit for parents with young children that could use some time out of the house can also be helpful. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 4-5 Remind the parents of that child that there is a tomorrow, and that tomorrow is beautiful. Constantly remind them that you're praying for them, that God is going to lead them through this storm, and that, Lord willing, they'll see that baby again. Life is a precious, precious gift. We should never take a second of our lives for granted. Losing a loved one is difficult, but as difficult as it is, we have to remember that we weren't meant to stay. If losing a child is part of God's plan for your life, it will happen. And you will praise Him in the midst of the trial and know that God holds that baby in His hands. His will is perfect and His ways are just. As for God, His way is perfect. The, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. Psalm 18.30 We have no need to fear what is to come. The Lord has planned and numbered our days. We can safely trust in Him with all of our hearts. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans fifteen thirteen. May we all stand strong in the faith. This audio blog, titled The Necessity of Family Worship, was written and recorded by Caitlin Smith on October 28, 2016. They all gather around. The whole family, from the 20-year-old to the four-month-old baby, all were present. The father clears his throat and positions his glasses on his face. He opens the catechism book the children are working through, while everyone pushes dirty plates aside from eating dinner. The noise and conversation from the meal ceases, and the children sit still in their seats. The father asks each child a question, and asks them to back up the answer with a proof text from the Bible. He pulls out the devotional the family is working through, a devotional based on the Westminster Catechism that is nearly the same catechism as the one the family is using. This book explains an aspect of the catechism each day for a week, and then moves on to a new question. The father puts away the books and looks around his dinner table and asks if anyone has anything specific they need prayer for. Then the family goes around the table, making their requests known unto God. Last of all, the father prays, interceding for his family, thanking God, and asking him to guide them and teach them. After family prayer time, the family rises. The daughters clear the table and wash the dishes, cleaning up after the meal they just enjoyed. The boys head out to finish whatever they were doing, helping repair termite damage, fixing the alternator on the car, cleaning their room, etc., what you have just read is a typical evening in our home, a routine my parents have been stated that is seldom missed. As soon as dinner is eaten, before we clear the table, we gather around and have a time of family worship. We haven't always done it this way. When I was younger, we would gather right before bedtime in our bedroom, 
everyone piling up on the beds to say prayer and be tucked in. Now, with several more children in a variety of ages, we all go to bed at different times, and that doesn't work. So, when we are all gathered, we do what we can. After all, some of us may miss out on a good night's sleep, but we seldom decide not to eat. You see, this is important to us, something that we will rearrange our schedules so we will accomplish. The Bible exhorts parents to diligently talk of God's commands. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 We are to mark our home as God's territory, writing his commands on our doorposts. Deuteronomy 6 verse 9 We are to commonly talk of the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 through 14 Of his works in our lives. Joshua 4 verses 6 through 7 Of his mercy and grace. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 15. And one way to purposely do this is through worship. Colossians 3, verse 16. As A.W. Pink articulates so well, it is not enough that we pray as private individuals in our closets. We are required to honor God in our families as well. An old writer well stated, A family without prayer is like a house without a roof, open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. All our domestic comforts and temporal mercies issue from the loving kindness of the Lord and the best we can do in return is to gratefully acknowledge, together, his goodness to us as a family. Excuses against the discharge of this sacred duty are idle and worthless. Of what avail will it be when we render an account to God for the stewardship of our families, to say that we had not time available working hard from morn till eve? Nor may any Christian plead that he is not qualified for such a work. Gifts and talents are developed by use, and not neglect. There are so many things to learn through family worship, as I have discovered as we have become faithful to do it each evening. The way I have learned much of what I have learned is through our family worship time. It is a time we use to ask questions, discuss the Sunday and Wednesday evening sermons. It is a time to share what we learn during our personal devotion time in the morning. It is a time to strengthen family bonds. You will have a strong relationship with those who you are daily praying for. This practice sets a tone of harmony and love in the household and is a source of strength when they go through affliction together. As they pray for each other, their love is mutual and strengthened. David Wagner I have noticed that my younger siblings can sit through a church service well because they have been trained at home to give reverent attention to the word of God. Proverbs 22, verse 6 They have been required to sit still for a few minutes each day of the week, and it is easily transferred, at least most Sundays, to sitting still an hour and a half. Parents are to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 4 and what better way to do so than being immersed in the Word of God every evening? It is not an option to skip out on this practice because we are too busy. As the saying goes, if we are too busy for God, we are too busy by far. And to all children of all ages, I have noticed that this can be hard for families to implement, especially if we are unwilling to be a part of it. If we are mumbling our way through songs, are not responding to questions, don't you think that would discourage our parents from doing what they have been commanded to do by God? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse 6 We are told to honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Ephesians 6, verses 2 through 3 And one way we as children can do this is by joyfully participating in something, even if it's not something we want to do. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16 When we study something as a family that we are studying in church, I always learn so much more. Because I am prepared for the message, I get more out of it. I've also seen that younger ones do too. They remember it better. They may not be old enough to take notes on a sermon to review later, but they are more apt to join in discussions of the sermon if they are already familiar with what was mentioned. It's as if they hear something familiar and it grabs their attention. 
Family worship is something that draws the family closer to God. John 4, verses 23-34 It is a way we can teach children the truth of God's word. Acts 11, verse 14 As they hear it spoken, prayed, and read, they are being convicted in their spirits, because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword used to convict us. Hebrews 4, verse 12 Just because older people in the family are Christians doesn't mean that the younger children are. They are sinners. They don't get a free pass to an eternity with Christ because parents and older siblings are saved. Romans 3, verse 23. This is one of the means Christ uses to get a hold of those precious little souls. The reading of the Bible and the family daily, year after year, is an education in itself. It makes the home the best kind of a school of Jesus. We can believe in prayer, too, and answers come down upon households which every day bow at God's feet. Who can tell what blessings descend, day after day, through the years, upon the members of the families that call upon God's name? J.R. Miller W. Alexander understood this concept well. And speaking of family worship, he says, I cannot read the word, I cannot sing, I cannot pray, without leaving some trace on the tender mind. How solemnly, how affectionately, how believingly should I then approach this ordinance? How much godly fear and preparation my conduct in this worship may save or may kill. Here is my great channel for reaching the case of those who are submitted to my charge. May the Lord see fit to raise up a generation who is intent on teaching little ones his word. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.